Okay. All right, I'm just going to read uh, from Matthew 24. Matthew 24 goes into uh, the beginning of sorrows. Okay, the beginning of sorrows. If you read, and you can take the time to do so, you, if you read those first verses, it's just amazing. I'll just read them. Um, this is Matthew 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. He had to. He wasn't, he wasn't receiving. He wasn't being received there. He went out from the temple, and his disciples came to him. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, he left the system. He came out of it. He left the camp. Hebrews 13, 13 to 15. He went out in 13, uh, 12 and 13. He went out of the camp. And his disciples, those that were willing to be taught, went to him. And for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you see all these things? Truly, I'm Truly, right now I'm saying to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In other words, that, that was man that built it. And when man built it, Christ wasn't accepted there. Just wasn't. But religious man would accept religious man, but not God in humanity. He said, so it's not going to. Then the, the, the second temple, that's the first temple, if we understand church history. Then the second temple, again, was destroyed in A.D. 70 by Titus. He destroyed that second temple. That third one, if we understand it, and from what I understand, is, is from what I understand from different individuals that know more about it than I do from over in Israel, all those parts of that temple are already built. They're already just underground and ready to be put put together. <clears throat> Third temple. <laughs> what has to happen? And verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us. Tell us. That's what God's doing. He's telling us things this morning, because we're gathering around him. Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? What is the sign of your coming? And how close it is. And of the end of the, see where it says world, like, like people think the world is the earth itself, it's not. It's the age, this particular time period. That's why we need to know prophecy. Okay. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed, guard yourself, take heed. That's why we said this morning how necessary it is for men, leaders, men. And, and I don't care in what facet of life you are, if you're a man, you're made in the image of God, you're made to be an initiator. An initiator is one who knows how to receive properly. 2 Corinthians 11.3, in that order. So, the end of the age, a particular time period. And Jesus answered and said, take heed. Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, who's the first guy that could, you think that could deceive us? It's the flesh that's in us. It's that first Adam flesh that's in us. That no man deceive you. Now, for many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. Do you see what he's saying there? You see the I am in Exodus 3 verse 14. You see the I am in, in, in John the 8th chapter verses 28 and 29. I am. That's Christ. 
The great I am is Christ, the fullness of the Godhead in, in Colossians 2.9. I am Christ. The many will say that. I am Christ and will deceive many. So in other words, even if I present, if I don't present Christ in a proper understanding of the word, who am I presenting? This guy right here is going to deceive you. But here in this context, there are multitudes that have said that. Many cults. You name a cult. Almost. That guy is, is the guy. In many different cults. And will deceive many. The multitude. The multitude happened to get deceived, by the way. Unfortunately, even for those that are in Christ. Because of Matthew 7, 13 and 14. You know, the, the broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow, and many go there, but narrow is the way that leads to life and few get there. Few enter properly. Again, for us in Christ, that means image. And you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. How are we doing in the time that we're in right now? You hearing of wars and rumors of wars? See that you not be what? Troubled. How many Christians get troubled by that, though? Oh my God, the political thing, the word, oh my God. Troubled, see that you not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, because the end is not yet. He's talking prophecy right here, by the way. For a nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. I don't know, how's it, how is it in Africa, certain parts of Africa? How is it in India? How is it in certain places? And pestilences, all kinds of diseases and things. How are we doing? Any new diseases lately? Could that be a sign of the approaching of his coming? And remember, his coming is in two phases. As much as some don't want to say that, because they don't know image, they don't know intimacy with Christ, and when I don't know intimacy with Christ, I'm going to function it in pride even as a believer. And they're the worst kinds, too, by the way. We, we can be the worst. Religious pride. Ugh, all pride is, is evil, but boy, that's got to be on the top. And earthquakes in all kinds of different places. Have we seen any of evidence of this, even now? All these things are the beginning of sorrows. That's just the beginning. Thank God we're not going to go through the last three and a half years of the tribulation as much as little men functioning in their pride that we even know personally in their pride teach this now. That we will go through and which we will not go through it. The beginning of the sorrows. This is the signs of his coming. Thank God we're going to be raptured. That's the first phase. We meet him in the air because his feet haven't landed on the earth yet because it hasn't been judged yet, but will be. <laughs> and sometimes when I teach these things, I laugh because it's so authoritative, you know, and I'm like, oh God, it's God teaching me right now. So don't think I'm the authority. It's like, I'm like, oh wow, okay. I need to know that more. <laughs> That's being made way more clear to me now than I ever knew it. 
That's the beginning of the sorrows because those last three and a half years of that seven-year tribulation, which was Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, the name change that he got in Genesis, the 32nd chapter, when he went from who? Jacob to Israel, prince with God. Tell me the Jews as, a, as his people are ruling with him right now. No, they rejected him in John 1.11. And still wailing at the wall in all their works right now in Jerusalem. These are the beginning of sorrows. If we look at all that happened since the fall up into that last three and a half years of the tribulation period, that will pale in comparison to what will happen in that, those three and a half years. That's why it's called the beginning of sorrows. Then will they deliver you up to be afflicted. Well, for us right now in the church age, all that live godly in Christ Jesus, proper image, he's everything, will suffer persecution in 2 Timothy 3.12. So should I think that is some kind of strange thing, that, my, that I will be on trial in 1 Peter 4.12? Like, oh my God, all I did was tell them Christ and they came against me. Oh my God, what is going on? Well, that's what's going on, okay? That's what's going on. They'll deliver you up to be afflicted and will kill you. Why will they kill you? Because they killed Christ and if he's in you, they're going to try and do that to you. They want to kill your testimony. They want to do everything they can, right? They're going to kill you. And you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake, for my person and the work that I've accomplished. In you, that's going to be hated. Okay? You're going to be hated because they, listen, if they hated you, they hated me first, John 15, 18. They hated me without a cause, John 15, uh, 25, Psalm 35 and, and uh, verse 19 and Psalm 69, verse 4. They hated me first, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. And because iniquity will abound, what's iniquity? It's people functioning in their own will, separate from Christ who is the will of God and what he's accomplished in his person. Because iniquity will abound. Where did that start? That started in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. It started when, and remember, God didn't create evil. He didn't create Satan. He created Lucifer with a free will and with a free will would not be submitted. He functioned in iniquity, his own will, and thus we have evil. It can get very confusing to those and to any of us that don't know the truth. Because iniquity will, uh, will abound, right? And many, what? And, and many then, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended. Christians get offended because they don't know certain things about truth. Christians compare because they don't know their own proper image in a proper way. Ye boy, does he want to stop intimacy from, in, from us as individuals and from us having it in fellowship. Because there's no fellowship without intimacy no intimacy without fellowship. It starts inwardly. That's why salvation is a very subjective inward thing individually in the 
specific, in the specific image that God created each one of us. See the nonsense of comparing. You know, well, never mind. And will deceive many, many, and you will hate, and will hate one another. When I don't function in Christ in my proper image, and when I'm jealous of your gift and I start to compare myself, and so what happens? In the flesh is the flesh a functioning hatred toward God before it's ever toward another believer in Romans 8 verse 7. Yes, it is. And we'll hate one another. Look, and many false prophets. What motivates a false prophet? Hatred to God, but I'm going to tell you about him. <laughs> will rise and will deceive many. It's going on right now in, in, our, in, in, in this time, this dispensation of grace's church age in Acts the 20th chapter. Look at verses 29 to 32. It's happening. It happens in 2 Timothy the third chapter, right through the uh, third chapter, those first 13 verses. And many false po- prophets will rise and will deceive how many? The majority. And because iniquity will abound, look what it says. The love of many will what? Will be extinguished. Because the Holy Spirit, if you see it, he's like this fire, this pure holy consuming fire and you know if you throw water on the fire what does it do it extinguishes it that's what it means to quench the spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 and thereby when he's quenched in Ephesians 4 verse 30 he's grieved that means he can no longer reveal to the Christian proper image about who they are in Christ he can't present Christ to them and that's why he gets grieved doesn't change the position, but the experience is terrible. It's terrible. And I think in my own life, I've had, I've had enough of that. Amen. Now, our hearts, as it says here, our hearts get cold when intimacy with Christ is not our focus. Why do we get together? Why do we do? How often when we get together, what should that be? When should I not have intimacy? When should I not have it? When should I not have fellowship? When I don't have intimacy, all that's left is is cold theology and doctrine. You separate the flesh, separates Christ from the doctrine and makes theology and, and, and separates Christ from doctrine and theology and makes us the theologians and scholars of our own deceitful heart. Living experientially separated from him. We will do this when pastors, when leaders don't even know foundational truth. These things that I believe that are necessary for all of us. We become our own interpreters of Christ living in the flesh while our flesh 
declares who he is. Oh, God, help us. Jesus, and I mean that personally. Intimacy abounds or iniquity. That's what it says. We just read it. Either intimacy abounds, and when should it not abound? You listen to me. And as I say that, as I say, listen to me, I'm listening to God with you. That's how that came out. I'm not above anybody or above or below anybody, I think sometimes, for the most part, in so many ways, I am experientially below, below others. <laughs> and I'm growing, thank God. But No intimacy with Christ? There's no exchange. There's no fellowship. Boy, you take that in marriage. Oh, my God. Take that in the home life. Oh my God. That is so intense. No exchange? No fellowship. Why? Because I, in my flesh, am interpreting Christ. Christ is present in intimacy. But when he's not, self is present. Oh, God. We, we really need to know, but boy, we need to have a... I just think that God is in the business right now of literally establishing the foundation in us as, as leaders. I do. As men. As followers of Christ. That's what a leader is. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Philippians 4, 9. Countless of... 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 15 and 16. Yes. Definitely. A leader is, is one is who a follower. And a leader, it continues to lead as he continues to follow. But if I don't even know what to follow or where it's going, how am I going to lead others? I, I will stop short. I may be sincere, but that's not spirituality. And then all they can follow is my flesh because that's as far as I can go. Dependence creates Intimacy. Intimacy creates dependence. This is fellowship and this is intimacy. When I have intimacy, then I can see clearly the truth versus the lies and attractive errors of the enemy. When truth, in, in, when truth in you and I is challenged, do I even know it? If I don't know the truth, foundational things... Then, when I'm challenged, then what? I operate in the only thing I can if it's not God's order. It's called confusion. And then I have no life and peace, which are mine in Christ. He is my life, Colossians 3, 4. He is my peace, Ephesians 2 and verse, 4, and verse 14, in my position. But do I experience him? Do I have fellowship with him? If I don't experience him, do I have fellowship with him? Do I have anything in common with him? And when we get together as believers in Christ, and when are you not, and when am I not, do we have things in common, which is fellowship? What is fellowship? Boy, we need to, oh God, what we think fellowship is. A good time. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. 
and I'm growing. And but when I say I don't know, I'm not I'm not looking at anyone else and saying, well, I know, and you don't. No, I'm saying in conviction, boy, I need to know. Just want to make that straight. I don't want anyone to please me by how I teach Christ. I want to make that crystal clear. I just do. I want fellowship. And there's a part of a part that God has me in a place of intense humility, by the way. To, to get up here and share these things, like I don't even know them like I should, but thank God I am, is a place of great, great intense humility. Just is. Just is. Yes. And it's the place I need to be. Because that's the place where he knows he, he, he's going to humble me and vice versa, wherever pla- whatever place we're in. When truth, when I know the truth, and when truth is challenged in me, and it will be, it will be. If he can't deceive us about a truth in Revelation 12, 9, then he's going to challenge us through the accusations of it in 12, 10 of, of Revelations. And so when truth in you and I is challenged with foolish questions that we're to avoid, the Bible talks about it, Titus 3, 9, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 23, avoid those foolish questions. That's why when we have these times of the word, they need to be taught and they don't need, questions don't need to come in till even after. <laughs> For any of us, I'm not saying that they would be foolish. But when truth in, in you and I is challenged, and it will be, the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Proverbs 23, 23. How do I do that? Well, 23, 26. My son, give me your heart. Submit your will. And then your eyes will observe my ways. Then even holy, then you will function in the holiness that God is. But you can't take his because he made you as an individual. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't miss the truth in your experience by selling it out because of atmospheric questions and being occupied with the questions and not the truth. So, in the light of this conviction that I'm receiving with you, the loving conviction to keep out the condemnation in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. And there will be a godly sorrow in that conviction, but it's never with regret, never mixed with worldly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, never. But then in the light of this truth that God has given us this morning, is it sin not to submit our will to God in obedience to him, his word, his will, his son, and the Holy Spirit? And is there intimacy in an unsubmitted will in the believer? Once I am in Christ, and we've been placed in the moment we receive Christ, once we were in him, once we are in him, Ephesians, the first three chapters, we are in Christ, am I free to operate in my will apart from him? 
Where my treasure is, Matthew 6, 21, there will my mind, my emotion, my will, my self-consciousness, and my conscience be. Because when it says, there will my heart be, heart there is noose, it's mind. It's not the little ticker. And mind in the Hebrew is lab, L-E-B. Proverbs 3, 5, my son, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. Give me your mind. And how do I give him my mind, my emotions, my consciousness, and my conscious without submitting my will? And that's the five parts of the soul. Because if I don't, all I live in is self-consciousness. Plenty of guilt and condemnation there, but none about who we are in Christ in Romans 8, verse 1. That's why we need to have the word that separates the soul from the spirit in Hebrews 4, 12. And then once that is, in my personal conflict with the enemy, I have, I have the sword of the spirit. Notice it's the sword of the spirit. In Ephesians 6, and verse 16. Even in 6, 15, where it says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Some think, yeah, now I'm to go out and preach peace. no. You have that experientially. Now you're prepared for the battle that will come against you. And this is why it's necessary, I think, even in these books and booklets, or in the preaching somehow, I don't know, to even understand spiritual warfare <laughs> in that particular place. Now, what is God's order? God's order is Christ. And when he is the head, of the body, when he's the head of the individual, and then we come together in the local assembly, that expression, manifestation of Christ on the earth, the whole body functions in one head because we all have the one mind of Christ, but do we? Now, there's going to be growth in any local assembly in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. There's going to be babes. But again, I want to make this clear. Yes, they're babes. But even a child is known by his doings, whether it's good or evil in Proverbs 22 and verse 11. Okay? Yes. And there's certain things that a babe shouldn't hear. Not yet, anyways. And we need to be careful. And then there, then there are young men. Young men. And then there's spiritual dads. But in that light of 2.12 to 14, in that particular light, in that image, as we grow into it, and don't stay children, become young men, don't stay young men, become spiritual dads in our own sense, we're all technically, in 1 John 2, 1, we're all his children, even the spiritual dads. That's why we don't know anything yet as we ought to in 1 Corinthians 8, 2, and 3. Now, not holding the head, giving him his proper place, Giving him my will. Well, if I'm to give him my will, and I don't know what I'm to give him my will to, and what it's based on, all these truths that we're talking about that are necessary for our growth and our function properly in this world system, being not of it. And, you know, when we don't know how to function in this world system, what will we do? We'll, fun we'll function of it. Because what's the sense? I don't know. Everything's so confusing. So if I don't go forward, is the neutrality. No, I just go back. What am I going to go back to in the world? All those other things that I was delivered from. 
That's what I go back to when I don't have proper truth. So not holding the head in Colossians 2.19 simply means the will has not yet been submitted in that particular area in the freedom that that obedience gives. <laughs> There's an exchange in fellowship through obedience with the individual in Christ. 1 John 4.10, here in his love, not that you love me, not that you love God, but that, but that he loved you and sent his son, the propitiation for our sins. Now we love in 419 because he first loved us. But what is in between that? It's obedience. I know he loves me. How do I know I love him? It's obedience. We exchange. Now we have a oneness. This is where the holiness comes in. Properly understanding holiness in its proper place. So, when I'm not holding the head through a will that hasn't been submitted yet in the freedom that that obedience gives, I live vainly puffed up in a fleshly mind. Oh, God. And that gets into Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 8 and 9. Hopefully, we get to verse 10. <laughs> and you can read those at, at a different time. But when Christ is my head, and he's holding me in my position, in my experience, in a proper image. When that's happening, when it does, then I don't get deceived by any form. Any formation or thought that tells me this is what Christ is, as opposed to his word. I get delivered from that in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. Lack of intimacy. Oh boy, I need to know this. I, I personally need to know this. Jeez, I don't, I don't understand my wife. My God, I don't understand it. Yeah, and you and I won't until I experience the love and intimacy that Christ has given me for her. I don't understand her because I don't understand intimacy and God's order, and headship. Lack of intimacy affects my relationship with God and has a negative effect on every other relationship. And it starts with the husband and the wife. We need to be able to hear how to have properly formed thoughts through sound words to be able to function in dependence on Christ. Isn't that great? We... I'm going to repeat it. We must, we as men, Christians, leaders, we must be able to hear how to have properly formed thoughts through sound words. Sound words is 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound words. Well disciplined how to think properly. Proper fellowship, proper intimacy. Leaves out all that other stuff. Leaves out Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. God, I've had enough of that in my life. And thinking that's, yeah, that's okay. No, it's not. It's not fellowship. It's not intimacy. It has, and, and because that doesn't have a proper place in me, if I submit to it, it takes me out of my place experientially. Can't out of my position. Sin can't even touch that because that has to do with relationship. And I need to understand that more, too. 
This keeps us, dependence on Christ, functioning in him, this keeps us in Christ's love for us. He's not against us. He's for us. And it keeps all the evil and negativity on the outside from entering in and forming what we think God is, what we are and what others are. The peace, the peace that his love for us brings into us. His love, it does not take us out of troubles. That's foolish, fleshly, satanic, evil philosophy. And it's called philosophy, the love of the truth. Ha! This keeps us there. His love does not take us out of our troubles like foolish philosophy tells us, and this is what it tells you, you can do it. What can I do without him in John 15, 1 to 5? It tells us, foolish philosophy tells us, if we don't have the mind of Christ, experientially proper image, in the midst of these troubles and these trials, Foolish philosophy will tell you that you can do it and by that escape it. You know, in my day in the early 70s, they called it transcendental meditation. I can escape it, yeah. Stop doing that. And the minute you go out the door, how you doing? I didn't buy it then. Thank God God protected me. I bought a lot of, a lot of other foolish things that, you know, were Okay. Because I liked them, but I sure as heck didn't buy that nonsense. <laughs> I categorized it. Wasn't I special? Well, we're going to close. His love, his Christ for us individually, is greater because it doesn't take us out of trouble, but right through it. Read Psalm 23. Especially verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Boy, when we don't have them experientially, it's fear. It's fear. But he takes us right through. Yeah, and even more, he's taken us through it. He's taken us through it because he's already taken us above it in him. Again, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 6. Above it, living in the reality of a proper image in his love for us that has conquered every single thing that trouble would seek to invade and enter into us. Christ is right at hand for us anytime. He's in us, he's for us, and he's for others. And we have this sweet reasonableness of thinking, of a properly formed mind, full of his thoughts of love that can be manifested to us and manifested to others in a proper image. Then we have fellowship. Then we have intimacy. And then God, Christ is lifted up and glorified. And when he is in my experience, like he is in my position, I am so overwhelmingly blessed. And Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.